Good morning. How's everyone? Everybody thankful for a heater? It's gotten chilly. It's good to see you this morning. I want to begin by saying thank you. Uh, this past Wednesday night, what a tremendous night we had. Uh, so many of you out there with your trunk open, your arms open wide, and your hearts open even wider, loving on our city. Thank you so, so much uh, for just loving on our community through our trunk retreat on a Wednesday night. I think I've got a picture of me and my crew up there if you missed us. Uh, that was us. And don't we look happy right there? Don't we? I mean, we're all smiling. Everybody's good. Um, what you don't know is that building that pyramid was actually a very uh, aggravating time in my life. The wind was blowing. I kind of ran out of materials and people are coming and Terry's at the house trying to get everybody in costume to get them up there. We look happy in that moment, but the moments leading up to this, whoo. So I just say all that to say to you, I'm an expert in what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about grumbling. I have four kids. I love them very, very much. I'm very proud of them. In fact, we just finished up nine weeks at school, and we got to go meet teachers and talk with them and hear about our kids. And for real, all four of them, nothing but straight A's. We're really proud of them. Nothing but good behavior at school. But, wow, they know how to grumble. For instance, do you want mustard? No. Here you go. I wanted mustard. Okay, I'll put mustard on. I want a bagel. Okay, here's your bagel. I like my bagel toasted darker than that. Okay, I'll put it back in the toaster. Back to them. That's not enough cream cheese. Three minutes later, I'm full. Me, I say, you need to finish eating because you'll be hungry later. No, I'm sure I'm full. Three minutes later, I'm hungry. I want a snack. How am I an expert in grumbling? Because I've taught my children well how to grumble. They've learned everything that they know about grumbling from me. Check out Exodus chapter 16. We're going to look at grumbling this morning in our stories. We pick back up in this incredible epic story of God's people leaving out of Egypt and leaving out of slavery. You've, you've seen those commercials where they've got to have a Snickers, right, and they snap back into the normal personality. We could have named this sermon Hangry. You've heard of Hangry, right? It's when you're hungry and angry all at the same time. Well, I take on another level of that. When I get tired and hungry, I go to Thangry, all right? So you don't want to be around me when I'm tired and I'm hungry. It gets kind of ugly. So check out Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse number 1. Exodus chapter 16, we're going to talk about God's provision, and we're going to talk about the people's grumbling. Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse number 1. Then the whole community of Israel, and we're talking about the whole community of Israel, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, some scholars estimate that somewhere around maybe upwards of 2 million people were involved in the people of Israel as they left out of Egypt. And so you can imagine hundreds of thousands, if not even a couple million of people 
moving together. And it says, the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin. Between Elam and Mount Sinai, they arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. So they were there for one month. How do we know that they were there for one month? Here's what I think. I think they had that guy, you know, that guy in their group that kept account every single day. And in my mind, I see this guy being the count from Sesame Street. <laughs> one, one day. <laughs> two, two days. <laughs> three, three days. Three horrible days in the wilderness. <laughs> Can you imagine this guy getting up to about 29? 29! 29 days. 29 despicable days in the wilderness. <laughs> and now we've hit day number 30, day number 31, if you will, and it's been declared they've been gone for one month. Can you imagine that guy getting on your nerves? I mean, the first couple days, that's kind of cool, but about day number 30, you're like, good grief, guy, give it a rest. We know we've been out here a long time. Everybody's on everybody's nerves at this point. And I don't know about you, it doesn't take me 30 days uh, to have someone get on my nerves. Uh, and our family doesn't take 30 days either. It takes about 30 seconds sometimes. And here they've been together 30 days, a couple of million people. Imagine the situation. It's hot. It's dry. You're thirsty. You're hungry. Everybody's with you. You haven't had a bath or a shower in at least a month. You haven't had any facilities to use in at least a month. You have animals with you. You have babies with you. You have young children with you. And we're at day 30, day number 30. Scripture goes on to say, verse number 2, uh, there too the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. Verse 3. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Now you've got to pause here and remember. The people of Israel had been in slavery, hard, core, demeaning, belittling, work to your fingers show the bones, slavery for hundreds of years. For this generation of people that are in this story, it's all they had ever known. They were born into slavery. It's all they ever knew. And they spent their entire lives up to this point, except for this last month of time, their entire life before then was them griping and complaining about the slavery that they were in and how they were stuck there and how all they wanted was to get out of slavery. Did they need to be out of slavery? Absolutely. Was their desire to be out of slavery good? Yes. But now they've been out a mere month and all they can do is gripe and complain to the point that they believe their current situation is so bad, they'd rather go back to their old situation of slavery. At least there, we got to sit around, sit around pots of meat and eat our fill of bread. What they had forgotten in their exaggerated minds 
and their demented minds at this point, a month out, is that they forgot they used to work all day long to the tune of whatever their slave driver wanted. They had forgotten that God had sent ten plagues. We're only a month out, folks, from God having sent ten plagues to free them. Flies and frogs and locusts and um, water turning to blood, livestock dying, boils, all these things happening within the place that they lived to the people that had enslaved them for God to get them out. They'd already forgotten about the Passover. They'd already forgotten that God sent an angel to kill the firstborn among all those who had not placed the blood at the top of their doors. And God had spared the people of Israel and gotten them out through these plagues. They had forgotten that just a month earlier, God brought them to the Red Sea. And there they stood with Pharaoh's armies behind them. And God told Moses to lift his rod. And Moses lifted his rod. And God parted parted the Red Sea on both sides. And they walked across on dry ground. They had forgotten that once they got across onto the other side, that Pharaoh and his armies were allowed to pursue them. And when they were in the bottom of the Red Sea, God decided to let the waters go and to destroy their enemies. They had forgotten the freedom that God had brought them just a month before. And now all they can do is they gripe and they complain. Emotions and complaints were high. God had delivered them from slavery, but could he also deliver them? Listen to this. Could he also deliver them from the wilderness? Circumstances had changed, but had they, the people, actually gotten better in their hearts? Grumbling. Verse number four. Then verse number, excuse me, verse number four. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Now imagine this just a moment. You're in the middle of nowhere. Anybody ever been to Colorado? You ever driven to Colorado? If you've driven to Colorado, you probably drove through Kansas. There is no more place on the planet that's the middle of nowhere than Kansas. It's just, you know, nothing. And here you are in the middle of nothing, the middle of nowhere, and God says, I'm going to rain down food from the heavens. Each day, verse 4, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. So he's going to rain, rain down food. You get to go out, you get as much as you want. And then the verse goes on to say, I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. Now, anytime we hear God say, follow my instructions, uh, most of the time we think about things uh, similar to or likened unto maybe the Ten Commandments, which we're going to get to next week. And we're going to be talking about very, very soon. But it's interesting to note, at this point in their journey and their relationship with God, God had not yet given to them the Ten Commandments. He had not yet said, here's what you can do and here's what you can't do. What we've got to notice here, and I want you to see this before we get to the Ten Commandments next week, is that God gives them rules and gives them instructions because of, listen to this, because of relationship. God doesn't say, I'm going to give you rules, and if you follow them, you can have relationship with me. God says, we have relationship, therefore I'm going to give you instructions. If you are in a relationship with God right now, it's not because you have kept his rules. 
It's because he's been a good, good God and he's given grace to you through his son named Jesus. It's the very same reason that the people of God were the people of God. God looked on the people of God and he chose them as his people, not because they were good people, but because he's a good, good God. Now that brings me great hope because that means that I can be a person of God. That means you can be a person of God. It means anyone can be a person of God because God's grace is enough and God's good enough and he loves us. But he says, hey, we've got relationship here. We've already founded that. We've already established that. Now let me see if you can do what I ask you to do. Why does God give us instructions? Why does God give us rules? So that we can have relationship with him? No, we already have relationship with him. They already had relationship with him. God gives you and I rules because he wants what's best for us. Right? Parents, isn't that why you give your, your, your kids rules? Do your kids have to have rules to be your kids? Nope. You give them rules, why? Because they are your kids. And God gives us instructions and God gives us rules because he wants us to experience the best way possible. And he says, let's see what you do with these instructions. God's going to give them this substance, this food called manna as we know it in Scripture. Manna. And he says, I'm going to rain it down from heaven. And it's almost as if God was saying, Will you trust me? Will you trust me not just today, but will you trust me tomorrow? And will you trust me the next day? And will you trust me the next day? Now, I've got to say that this passage right here gives me great encouragement to know that when God sees us not trust him, he's still faithful to us. Because there are times that I don't trust God. And God is still faithful. But he poses this, this, this um, situation before them and asks them if they will trust him. So despite their grumbling, their complaining, their faithlessness, God blesses them and provides for them. And he gives them this food called manna. If you want to read on in the chapter, we're not going to take time to read every verse, but uh, the Bible describes it as kind of a flaky substance, almost like a wafer cracker, a honey cracker, if you will, that would come about on the ground every single morning. And they would go out and they would gather up as much as they wanted. And it said for them to eat it, not because they deserved it, but because God is a generous father and he provides for his children. So according to the next few verses, if you read on, God gives them instructions. Every single day, Sunday through Friday, okay? Sunday morning, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday morning. Go out and gather up as much as you think you'll need for your family. That's what he tells them to do. Eat your fill of it, he says. Eat as much as you need to to be full. But at the end of the day, get rid of it. Get rid of it. That's what he tells them to do. Why did he tell them to get rid of it? He told them to get rid of it because if they kept it, that it would ruin and that it would spoil. Look down at verse number 19. Look at what the people did. Then Moses told them, do not keep any of it until morning. So it's Thursday morning, if you will. Hey, you gathered up. Don't keep any of it until Friday morning. He says, don't keep any of it. Verse 20. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. But by then it was full of, this is great, full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Why did God tell them not to keep it? Because God knew if they kept it, it was going to get full of maggots and it was going to have a terrible smell. And God said, I'm going to provide again for you the next day. Just do what I tell you to do. 
So God says every day, gather up what you need, then get rid of it. Then he changes it on Friday before Saturday. Saturday was their day to rest. And God said on Friday, I want you to gather up uh, enough for Friday and Saturday and hang on to it and don't go back out on Saturday. So on the weeks, uh, the days of Sunday through Friday, the people were terrible about going out, gathering up a lot of it, keeping it, waking up the next morning with maggots and it smelling terribly. And then we read on that on Saturday morning when God said, go in your cupboard, if you will, and get what you kept. It's going to be good from Friday night over into Saturday morning. We find people going out on Saturday morning and looking for food, and it wasn't there. And God's like, will you trust me? We, I'm the one that sent the plagues. I'm the one that got you across the Red Sea. I'm the one that sent you food yesterday. I will send you food tomorrow. But what did they do? They hoarded They hoarded. What were they supposed to do on Saturday? Just to wake up and eat. Instead, they woke up on Saturday to gather food. Here's the big idea I want you to get today, and it's huge. Sometimes our stomachs reveal our hearts. Sometimes our stomachs, what we desire, what we long for, what we want, what we crave, what we think we have to have to survive, reveals our hearts. So what's the big deal about these guys being hungry? Is it okay to be hungry? Well, yeah, it's a natural thing that happens in our life. Is it okay to ask God for food? Absolutely, it's okay to ask God for food. The problem is the Israel, the people of Israel didn't just want God to give them food. They wanted him to give them the food they wanted when they wanted on their own terms instead of trusting that God would provide for them. So they grumbled, and then they hoarded, and they disobeyed. Here's what they wanted God to be. They wanted God to be their manna machine. God, I'll call on you when I need you, and when I need you, I expect you to do what I ask you to do. It's the way a lot of people interact with God today. It's the way a lot of people in this room interact with God today. God, I'll call on you when I need you. And when I need you, I expect you to be there. And not only do I expect you to be there and provide for me, thank you, but I expect for you to provide for me when I want, how I want, as much as I want. Now, the problem with that is if I expect God to function that way and God doesn't function that way, what happens? I think God fails me. And I begin to grumble at God. And I begin to tell God, God, you're not a good God because you didn't do what I asked. You didn't do what I prayed. You didn't do what I told you to do. And God's like, wait, wait, wait just a minute. You're not the one that lays out the instructions here. You're not God. I am. I'm the one that began this relationship with you. I'm the one that's going to continue this relationship with you. I'm the one that gives out the instructions. You're the one that gives out the faith because I am faithful. But they continued to grumble. When we grumble and our stomachs begin to reveal our heart, it's revealing something deep. Deep, deep about us. It's really revealing heart issues many times. So let me ask you this question. When do you grumble? When do you grumble? Now to break that down a little bit more, let me ask you some more questions. And I'll just go ahead and tell you I'm uncomfortable asking them. Because um, I know the answers for me for some of them. But when do you grumble? Let me ask you this next question. When 
are you angry? When are you angry? Anger is obvious when it's loud, when it's hateful, and when it's violent. But anger can also be irritable, frustrated, judgmental, pushy, moody, grouchy, cranky, defensive, blunt, harsh, or impatient. To that, I don't say amen. To that, I say ouch. Ouch. When when are you angry? When do you grumble? Um, Anger makes this judgment. It makes this judgment. This is wrong, unfair, or unjust. Sometimes that is true. Sometimes when something is unfair or unjust and we call it out, that anger is righteous. But most of us don't reveal our anger in a righteous way. Most of us reveal our anger when we think something is unjust, when we think something is unfair for us, and we declare it to be so. And we don't respond well most of the time. You've heard me say this before if you've listened to me. My kids hear me say it all the time, and the reason why they hear me say it all the time is because God's still teaching me this, and that is anger is one letter away from danger. If you have an anger issue, you're in dangerous territory. You're in dangerous territory. And so when we grumble, we're revealing our heart, and for some of us, we're revealing our anger that is beneath the surface. Next question, when do you grumble? When when are you anxious? When are you anxious? Some of you are like, well, with that question, right now. Right? When are you anxious? When do you get all tense to the place that sometimes it even paralyzes you? Most of the time, anxiousness looks like brooding, being preoccupied, being overly cautious, hypersensitive, perfectionistic, and worrisome. Anxiety definitely worries about what other people think. Anxiety causes you to replay the conversation you had with somebody over and over again and replay the conversation that you're planning on having with them next time. It also assumes the worst case possible. That's what anxiety does. Anxiety takes you to the most negative place that you can land. So when are you Anxious. Next question. When, when do you escape? I'm going to qualify this, okay? When, when do you escape? Escape becomes really, really enticing to many of us when things become more and more difficult. And I would venture to say that uh, some of us uh, maybe go this place quicker than others, but I'd say all of us eventually end up here when things get tough. We just like, we want out. We want to break. We want to be done. We want to be finished with it. So the extreme case of escapism are things like addictions that will kill you. And we could talk about addictions to food, which is where some of us go. We could talk about addictions to drugs, which is where some of us go. We could talk about addictions uh, to alcohol, which is where some of us go to escape. And listen, if those things are your issues, they are going to destroy your relationships. They are going to destroy Your family, they are going to destroy your health. They're incredibly, incredibly dangerous. But we also need to talk about more subtle ways that we escape. Like constantly checking social media or sports scores. 
Like, well, that, that kind of seems harmless. Escape is not always bad, but when it's to get away from reality because we don't want to re-enter, it gets very, very dangerous. When we escape only to get better so that we can re-enter reality, it's an okay thing. We call it vacation. Everybody needs a vacation every now and then, right? I do. You do. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. But if you're taking a vacation to get away to never come back, you've got deeper, deeper issues. You go somewhere, you recharge to come back in. I mean, some of you, the way that you escape is very, very healthy. For some of you, your way of escape is you get alone with God and you pray. That's a good way of escape. It's God preparing you to re-enter into reality. But these guys, they, they wanted out. They desperately wanted to go back to Egypt. The food in slavery sounded so good that they were willing to go back and be under the authority and the demands of their taskmaster. Anger, anxiety, and escapism are all revealing of our discontentedness and grumbling. So when we're grumbling, what are we longing for? What are you longing for when you grumble? What am I longing for when I grumble? Here's what it is. We're longing for satisfaction. That's what we're longing for. We're longing for it. And when it doesn't happen, we find ourselves grumbling. Very important thing I'm going to share with you this morning. Oh, how we need to get it. Sinful desires can never be satisfied. Write it down. Sinful desires can never be satisfied. The moment that you start taking your natural desires, and most of our desires are just that, they're natural desires, and you start trying to fill them rather with the, than with the goodness and the provision of God, and you start going out here and say, I want to fill my desire with this, and I want to fill my desire with that. The moment you start doing that, you're creating a sinful desire, one that can never, ever be satisfied. It's the reason why many of us are never satisfied because our desires are sinful. Sinful. Can never be satisfied. So I think right now what we need to do is look to the Word of God and let it feed and refresh our souls. Look at John chapter 6. Look at John chapter 6. Okay, verse number 26. Jesus dealing with some hungry people. And here's what he says to them in verse 26. Jesus replied, I, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. You want me to be your manna machine. You want me to give you what you want, when you want it, how you want it. He goes on to say, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Verse 27. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Look down to verse 29. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. This is the only work God wants from you. 
Believe in the one he has sent. Jesus just just melts it all down. What does God want from you? He wants you to believe in Jesus. He wants you to find your hope, your salvation, your satisfaction in the one that can truly bring it. Look down now to verse number 32. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. Verse 35, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I'm not a man of machine, but I'm the provider for your soul. I will not necessarily give you what you want when you want it. Rather, I will give you what you really, really need, which is satisfaction in the depths of your being. Look now at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. As you're looking for Romans chapter 8, are we beginning to realize that we are not that far disconnected from the story of Exodus? We have been enslaved in our sin. We want it out. We want it out. God sends Jesus. We believe in him. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us a new way of life. We end up in our new way of life, and we start making demands of God. God doesn't deliver our demands, and we start thinking about going back to the very thing that he freed us from and sin. And he says there's so much more. There's so much deeper things that I can give you. Romans chapter 8, verse number 12 Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. He's speaking to believers. If you are a believer, if you are someone that's placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he says you don't have to do what your sinful desires want you to do anymore. Verse 13. For if you live by its dictates, you will, what does it say? Say it with me. You will what? Die. Say it with me. You will die. God doesn't want that for you. He says, I've sent you Jesus to bring you out of all of that. I've come to give you life. But if through the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. We don't merely need our old desires satisfied. We need new desires. And only the Spirit of God can provide that. I'm going to repeat that. I think it's going to come on the screen for you. We don't merely need our old appetites and old desires satisfied. We need new desires that come from the Spirit of God, and only the Spirit of God can do that. Psalm 107. Psalm 107 and verse number 9. This is a verse of hope for those of you that are longing for satisfaction. Psalm 107, 9. For he 
our God, our Father, the provider of our manna. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. I'm going to read that again. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Well, surely if God would have given the people of Israel something besides manna day after day after day, they would have been satisfied. How many choices do you make every single day about what food you'll eat? Oh, wait a minute. We don't have time to count that up, do we? Right? Right? I mean, even right now, in the back of some of your heads, you're thinking about where you're going to go eat when this thing is done, right? Like, I didn't have time to cook this morning, and so we're going to go here, and so-and-so wants to go there, and you're going to have to figure it out. Surely if God would have given them more choices than manna, they would have been satisfied, right? It's not about more choices. I mean, if it's about food and it's about choices, we should be the most satisfied people on the planet. Amen? It's not about food. It's not about choices. It's about the only one that can truly provide and wants to provide and does provide. Here it says, he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Look at Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verse number 8. Psalm 34, verse number 8. Taste and see that the Lord is what? Taste and see that the Lord is? Come on, taste and see that the Lord is? He's good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. It's not about food and it's not about choices It's about finding and knowing and believing and trusting in the one that can provide for the needs of our souls. John Piper worded it this way. He said, it's not about getting what I want. It's about God giving me what I desperately need himself. It's not about getting what I want. It's about God giving me what I desperately need himself. It's very easy for us to read a story like in the book of Exodus and to be judgmental and say, well, those bunch of whining, complaining, whatever people, or that doesn't have anything to do with me. Or Listen, it has everything to do with us. May we be wise and read these stories like in Exodus and see the folly of their moment and the faithlessness of their moment and the destruction and the, and the crashing that took place in these moments and say, that I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to me. God, I don't want to treat you like a man machine. God, I want to treat you like God, and I want to believe you, and if you tell me what to do, I'm going to do it because I believe that you've got what's best for me. So whatever your instructions are, God, whether they're simple, whether they're hard, whether they make sense or not, I'm going to do it. If you tell me to pick up food today, I'm going to pick up food today. If you tell me to get rid of it before night comes, I'm going to get rid of it before night comes. If you tell me to keep enough from today for tomorrow, I'm going to keep enough from today for tomorrow because, God, you've got a really, really good plan, and I know this is about way more than food. This is about my heart. 
God, if you say that's destructive and you say don't touch it, then I'm not going to touch it because it's destructive and I don't want it in my life because you don't want it in my life. And God, I'm going to believe you and I'm going to trust you because of stories like in the Exodus where we read about the plagues and we read about the, the Passover and we read about the Red Sea and we realize you did that. And then we read the New Testament we read about Jesus and how you sent your one and only son here to live among people like me who are selfish and grumbling and complaining and whining and sinful. And yet your son lived perfectly. And your son died on the cross for my sin and for their sin and for everybody else's sin. And your son didn't stay dead, but after making the payment for my sin, he rose again from the grave. And so, God, everything I know about you just says you're trustworthy, it says you're faithful. It says you're true. It says you're the one that I should believe in. Whether it be for food or for family or for provision, God, I'm going to trust in you. Whether it be for that satisfaction of my soul, that place that I can't express to anybody else, it doesn't make any sense, this emptiness that's in me. But, God, I believe that you know it's there and that you can fill it because you're the God of Abraham. You're the God of the people of Exodus. You're the God of your people. Uh, my kids, they ask me for stuff all the time. I think they ask me for stuff while they're asking me for stuff, it seems like. And as a parent, one thing that I don't think they really grasp yet, and, and I don't know when they will, but, but most, most of the requests they make are reasonable. They, they really are. They're They're reasonable. And what they don't know is that when they ask me for something as their dad, I am happy, glad to provide for them. But I do get sick of the grumbling, the complaining, and the whining. And as a dad, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know how to get my kids to see how good they've got it and just be glad and full of gratitude and full of joy. I just want you to say please and thank you, and we're just going to keep on trucking. Amen, parents? Please. And then every now and then God taps me on the shoulder, sometimes in the head pretty hard. And he says, don't you see, that's like you and me a lot of times. You don't say please. You don't say thank you. You gripe about what I give you. And you just don't see it. And I don't get it. And it's frustrating. God's asking me and God's asking you, will you trust me? Will you trust me? I will give you what you need. I'm happy to provide. So I think there's one next step that applies to every single person in the room. Whether you've been a believer um, and following Jesus, or whether you're thinking about being a believer and following Jesus, 
whether you got a big deal going on in your world right now or a small deal going on in your world right now, it's the same question God's posing to me and God's posing to you. And he's saying, will you trust me? Now, I think that as you continue to examine God, his word, his creation, uh, his spirit, his son, his miracles, all the things that you could see about God, I think that as you examine God, you're going to find God to be faithful and to be true. And so the question is, will we, will we trust him? Will we trust him, first of all, people of God, people of God, people who would stand and say, yes, I've prayed to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. Oh, God is saying to us this morning, well, will you trust me today? I mean, I don't know about you, when I was a kid, I prayed and I trusted to receive Christ, but the question is, am I going to trust him today so that he can make me who I need to be and give me what I need to become everything I need to be so that I can bring him glory and so that other people will trust him too? Unbelievers are watching believers not trust in God daily, and they're turned off at following Jesus. So people of God, the question for us from God is, will you trust me? Again, this next step, will you trust God for everything that you need? For everything that you need. Will you trust him for your provision? Will you trust him for your food? I mean, I don't know if you know it or not, but like, um, some people think if you don't pray before you eat, it's like a sin. Uh, I don't know anywhere in Scripture where it's written. But having an unthankful heart is not good at all. I'll tell you that. But how many times do we pray because we're supposed to pray and we really weren't thankful for the food? We just kind of punched the clock and we prayed because you're supposed to pray. And if we didn't pray, somebody would notice that and we would be bad people, right? And when's the last time you just like, I'm really thankful for this food? Oh, it's kind of overcooked. I'll eat it anyway. Can't we believe you were out of my favorite cereal this morning? I'm not talking about kids right now. You understand that, right? <laughs> Will you tr trust him for your financial needs right now? You understand when you trust God, sometimes God tells you to do stuff in the midst of the trusting. Y'all get that, right? Sometimes I think we say, hey, trust God. We're like, well, I'll just believe that God will do it for me, and I will sit down over here. God may tell you to get up and go to work. Trusting him to provide. In fact, he probably will tell you to get up and go to work. Will you trust him for your satisfaction, deliverance? Will you trust him for the forgiveness that you need, the salvation that you're desperate for? Somebody that's been thinking about Jesus, considering Jesus, will you trust him with your sin and who you were and who you could be? Will you trust him with your eternity and believe in him and in him alone? Let's pray.